0: Well guys, let's uh, let's get started this morning. We're going to be starting a new teaching series today and we're going to be going through Paul's letter, To the Philippians. And I'm really excited about uh, this series for a number of different reasons, but one of them being that our middle school and our high school students are going to be studying, and I have already started to study through this same book. They have been going through Philippians in their life group that meets on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. And so they started last week in Philippians chapter one. They will continue next week. And so in between those times, they will have the these sermons that will kind of tie in and build together, but also for us as parents who, uh, if our our kids, our students are in one of those life groups, it will give us a a bigger basis for us to talk about uh, the things that we're studying all together. And so I'm really excited for that. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to discover that as we grow to become mature followers of Jesus, we will be living for Jesus. And as we are living for Jesus, what we will find is that we will start to follow the example that Jesus has left for us and how to live. And so we will be living like Jesus. And as we do, we are going to find joy for our journey. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Please take one as a gift from us to you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word for you to have on your own. If you're looking for Philippians, it is uh, on the right side of your Bible. In the New Testament, it comes right after the book of Ephesians and right before the book of Colossians. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little context, a little background of the city of Philippi and also uh, kind of the the time frame in which the the letter was written. So Philippi is a town that is on the uh, northwest of Greece. It's east of Istanbul uh, and south of Bulgaria. Uh, it was a major port town. You can see it on the map that's here. Uh, it's a major port town. Um, it was also on the main road, <coughs> excuse me, to Athens. And so a lot of times uh, people who were traveling traveling from Asia and from the Middle East would travel through here to go to Athens or go to Rome uh, or even uh, to go to the rest of Europe or, or vice versa, or they would travel by boat coming through this area. And so there was a lot of trade that was happening here in the city of Philippi. Uh, At the time, it was a district of Macedonia, which was a Roman colony, Uh, and then we can see from this timeline on the next slide uh, that that Paul actually visited the city of Philippi uh, not just once, but twice Uh, on his second missionary journey. uh, We'll actually take a look at that a little bit in the book of Acts a little bit later, Um, but he visited Philippi, and he began to build some relationships with different people. Uh, He began sharing the gospel before uh, he, he and Silas were locked up in prison, um, but then Paul would actually come and return on, a, on his third missionary journey to Philippi as well, and then most likely he wrote this letter that we're going to be studying over the next couple weeks sometime after that third missionary journey, um, and that would have been around 50 AD um, that he had gone to Philippi the first time, some 15 or 20 years after Jesus, um, and then he would write this letter that we're going to be studying Why he was in prison, most likely either in Rome or on his way to Rome, still in chains that we find in the end of the book of Acts. So that gives us a little context, a little background about Philippi and about this letter. So let's dig in to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start there in verse 1. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I hope that in those words, you can begin to see Paul's heart for the people at Philippi. I hope you can see his deep care that Paul has for these people in the city of Philippi. He thanks God always when he remembers them. He has prayers of joy when he thinks about these people. He has them in our in his heart. He says that he has the same affection that Jesus had for these people. He longs for them. With the affection that Jesus has. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for affection is a word that literally means the bowels, okay, the intestines. Now, as you're reading, we don't get this from from Paul, right? We don't get that he's saying, "You guys make me want to vomit," right, from the bowels, right, or or you guys make me want to have a bowel movement, right? Like he's not saying any of those things. You see, Greeks they believed that the seat of many emotions was actually found in our gut, right? In our bowels, in our intestines. And so Paul's saying, man, I love you deep down. I, I care deeply for you. It's kind of where we get that phrase, you know, I have a gut feeling about this, right? We have this feeling that's down deep. Well, Paul is saying, I don't just have this feeling for you. I, I have this affection. I care deeply for you and, and Paul likens his affection for them as the same affection that Jesus has for them. Paul says, I, I love you in the same way that Jesus loves you. And how did Jesus demonstrate his love for them? Well, while they were still sinners, he died for them to redeem them. Now, Paul isn't trying to elevate himself. Uh, to Jesus. He is merely trying to express how deeply he cares for these people. Paul loves these people. So, who are they? Who are the Philippians? Well, in Acts chapter 16, we begin to meet some of these people who are in Philippi. As I said, Paul and Silas are traveling along on their missionary journey. They are sharing the gospel. They're planning churches. They're being kicked out of towns and being arrested in other places. And so uh, they actually come to Philippi. uh, And this is right after Paul and his good friend Barnabas had a sharp disagreement about taking John Mark along. In Acts chapter 15, they kind of parted ways. And, and both Barnabas and, and John Mark and then uh, Paul and Silas, they continue to go on and share the gospel in, in different places. And so Paul and, and Silas, they, they come to Philippi after picking up Timothy along the way. Uh, they would have traveled by way of Troas to Philippi, stopping and sharing the gospel in a lot of different ways. They would do as they normally do when they go into a new city, and they would begin sharing the good news of Jesus with people who believed in God already, but who may not have heard about Jesus. So they would go to the synagogues and they would go to the other places where people who believed in God would gather to pray and gather together. And so they head down to the boardwalk there in Philippi where there was a group of women who would gather regularly to pray, whether this was every day or once a week or a couple times a week, we don't know, but they seemed to gather regularly Uh, they're at this place for prayer and so Paul begins talking with them and sharing with them the good news about Jesus and so we meet this first person from the city of Philippi Lydia in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 says this one of those who was listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth she was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So we meet this first person from this city of Philippi, and it was Lydia. Now, Lydia was a a rich fashionista. She was a a dealer of purple cloth, which was a pretty high-end material at this time. And she probably also traveled around to many different places. In fact, it it says here that her hometown was Thyatira, which is a different place altogether. And so every time that she was in Philippi, though, it seems that she was faithful to her life group. (laughs) That They were gathering together down at the boardwalk to pray. The most important thing about Lydia wasn't the fact that she was a fashionista or that she was from Thyatira. The most important thing about Lydia is that she was a worshiper of God. She was a worshiper of God. Lydia listened to Paul speak, and God opened up her heart to respond to the good news about Jesus. There are a couple things that I want you to know this morning and see through Lydia. And first is that the Holy Spirit works on us even before the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is at work on us way before the Holy Spirit begins to live and work in us. We learn from the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit Convicts us of sin even before he takes up dwelling in us. And we see this working right here through Lydia. The Holy Spirit was working on her even before the Holy Spirit was living in her. He opened up her heart to respond to the good news about Jesus. The second thing that we get to learn from Lydia here is that when God is working on us, it demands a response. When God is working on us, it demands a response. Now that response may be different, but we will respond. We may respond by following and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or we may respond in walking away. But we will respond when God is working on us. So Paul preached Lydia listened and God worked. Lydia responded to the good news about Jesus and her and her entire household were immediately baptized into Christ. Look at verse 15. It says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia welcomes Paul and Silas and most likely Luke and Timothy as well uh, into her home to stay. Now, we've kind of alluded to that Lydia was most likely pretty well off. She probably had a pretty nice home. But this would have still been a huge undertaking for her to invite all of these people to come and stay in her home. Because it wasn't just about giving them a place to lay their head. But in this culture, when you invited somebody into your home, you cared for all of their needs. You provided food for them. Uh, You took care of everything that they may need while they stayed there. So Lydia, she welcomed them into her home. She wanted to share in their ministry in any way that she could. She wanted to partner with Paul and Silas and with God to share in the work of their ministry, something that we're going to actually see is a common practice from the church in Philippi. All of them partnered with God to share in this ministry. She took care of the needs of Paul and Silas and the others to help support the work of of the gospel. Okay, so we meet Lydia, right? This rich fashionista who was a worshiper of God. But the next person that we meet is almost the exact opposite of Lydia. It's a crazy, demon-possessed slave girl who annoyed Paul to death. We find her in verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we see this this demon-possessed slave girl who every day was following Paul and Silas around and not in a good way. You know how I know that? Because it says that Paul was greatly annoyed, (laughs) right? Right? He he cast out this demon, uh, maybe even not because he cared for her, uh, but because he was annoyed by her, (laughs) right? Uh, He he cast out this demon. He was greatly annoyed by this girl. But she was the exact opposite of Lydia, right? Lydia was rich. She was a poor slave. Lydia was a worshiper of God, and she was demon-possessed. These two opposites. And we're going to see this as kind of a, a common theme In the church at Philippi, that they were a diverse group of people who were impacted by the gospel. What brought them together wasn't their similarities and their common interest. What brought them together was Jesus, despite how diverse they were. So Paul cast out this demon in the name of Jesus, and the girls' masters weren't happy to say the least. Their money tree had just been cut down. Right? And so they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them to the magistrate in front of the whole town. And they said that Paul and Silas, are, they're stirring up the whole town into confusion, and they're teaching these crazy things about this man named Jesus, and they're causing trouble for all of us and, and messing up our business. right? So the magistrate beat them with rods many times. Now, we may not get this from the context, but this magistrate was a Roman official. Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, this magistrate, he could beat anybody that he wanted to for any reason, whether they were guilty or not, unless they were a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen had to be tried and convicted before they could receive any type of punishment. And yet this magistrate just takes them out and then he beats them without being convicted. And then they hand Paul and Silas over to the jailer, and the jailer throws them into the stocks, into the inner, inner prison. And instead of whining and complaining about their situation, uh, instead of saying, man, we were wrongly accused, right? And you better let us out of here. We have rights as citizens of Rome. You know what Paul and Silas do? They start singing praises to God. Locked up in the bottom of the jail, wrongly accused, having been beat and now arrested, They respond to that in worship to God. And so when Paul later in his letter will say, whether I'm in chains or being poured out like a drink offering, Jesus is going to be exalted in my life, the Philippians saw this firsthand. They saw Paul live that out. So in the midst of their singing, a great earthquake happens. The doors of the prison open up and all the prisoners' chains fall off. Now, this could have meant bad news for the jailer because if he had lost even just one prisoner, it could mean him losing his life. The jailer could have been punished or even worse. But listen to what happens in verse 27. It says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of the others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So this jailer, washed Paul and Silas' physical wounds. But that night, somebody else's wounds would be washed as well. His and his whole household, their sin wounds, were washed by the blood of Jesus when they met him in baptism. So this is Philippi. This is our first glance at the people who made up the church there. We have this rich fascinista. We have this demon-possessed slave girl. We have this jailer and their families that Paul was writing this letter to. These are the people that Paul has this deep affection for, that he loves deeply, that he cares deeply for. This diverse group of people who have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus through the preaching of Paul and Silas. You know, one of the interesting things about the, the letter to the Philippians, the, the book of Philippians, that's kind of different from the rest of Paul's letters, is that there's not any mention in the book of Philippians of uh, errors or things that the church needs to fix. Like when you read through of the corinthian letters or even galatians or ephesians there that hey you're doing this wrong you need to change this you need to stop doing this you need to start doing like there's a list of all kinds especially corinthians whoo there's a lot of stuff but philippians you won't find that what we find in the book of philippians is this this letter of encouragement and love and affection for a diverse group of people who were living mature in their faith they were living for jesus and they were living like jesus the Philippians truly had found joy for their journey. And because of that, I believe that we as the church and we as individuals can learn so much from the Philippian church and that we can learn to find joy in our journey as well. And we can learn from their example and see what it looks like for us to live for Jesus and to live like Jesus. But if we want to find joy in our journey like the Philippians had, we first, like the Philippians, must learn to partner with God. The Philippian church partnered with God. Look at verse 5 again of Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the very beginning, the Philippian church partnered with God in the work of the gospel. They partnered with the work of the kingdom of God. It wasn't an afterthought for the people in Philippi to partner with God for the work of the gospel. It wasn't, well, that church over there is doing this thing, so we should copy them and do that too. It wasn't, well, man, they're doing that work over there, so we should just give them some money so that we don't have to do that, right? It wasn't any of those things. It was a partnership that they lived out. They participated in the work of the kingdom of God. We see this even starting with Lydia, right? The very first thing that she says is, hey, come into my home. Let me take care of your needs while you're here. That way you don't have to worry about them. They actively participated in the work from the very start. From the first day until now, they took part in the work of the gospel in the kingdom of God. Friends, if we want to grow into mature faith, if we want to grow up to find joy in our journey, then we will participate. We will get out of our chairs and we will join in the work not just watch and complain. We will get up and get involved and serve the work of the gospel. And that starts when we find how God has gifted us. And then we find how we can use those giftings to serve God and to serve others. And there are a lot of great resources out there. um, And and I can share some of those uh, a little bit later this week. Uh, if you're looking to find how God has gifted you, there are some great uh, spiritual gift analysis. If you just kind of Google search that, um, there are some, some good resources out there that kind of tests that you can take that kind of find out how God not only has wired you uh, from birth, but also rewired you spiritually and given you those spiritual gifts that we have as followers of him um, to kind of help you discover those things so that you can find ways that you can serve others. Um, Man, we have a lot of areas that you can serve the work of the kingdom here on Sunday mornings, from our setup crew to our cleanup crew, um, from our worship team to running slides to helping in our kids' ministry or in a student ministry or a welcome team, from making coffee to bringing snacks, uh, to life groups, uh, whether that's hosting life groups or leading life groups, uh, and, and so much more. But our partnership with God for the work of the gospel isn't just about serving within the church, but it's about us serving others all the time. It's about learning how we can serve others in our homes, our spouses, and our kids. It's about learning how we can use our gifts to serve others at work, or in our neighborhoods, or in our school, or in our community. In fact, here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed self for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. That we put our faith into action by mobilizing to help our community and our world, even if that means that we have to suffer and sacrifice to put their needs and care for their needs over our own. And friends, we believe that when we are serving others, when we are following the example that Jesus has gave for us, that God will begin to open up doors in relationships, and through those relationships, that God will open up doors for the gospel to be shared. And this is how we can partner with God for the work of the gospel. But we have to participate. We have to partner with God in the work of His kingdom. Friends, if we want to find joy for the journey, not only do we need to partner with God for the work of his kingdom, but we also must receive discernment from God. Look at verse 9 there in Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern What is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So, next, Paul tells us that he wants their love to abound in knowledge and in depth of insight. He wants their love to abound in real or correct knowledge of the truth, the truth of Jesus, in a way that they could stand firm in, in a way that they could defend it but i want you to notice what paul doesn't pray for he doesn't pray that their knowledge would abound in arrogance he prays that their knowledge would abound in love friends when we defend the faith it should never be out of a place of arrogance it should only be out of a place of love love for that other person to want to see them, to come to know the truth that we do. So why did Paul tell them to abound in love and in knowledge? Verse 10, so that you will be able to discern what is best. Discernment is insight. It's not only having a sense of right and wrong, but it's having intellect to discern what is right from wrong. And both of the words that Paul uses here for knowledge and discernment both have the the kind of context and connotation of ethics. And how fitting it was for the Philippians who were at this crossroads of all these different cultures coming together. And how even fitting it is for us today to know the truth and to have discernment and intellect to know right from wrong in a day and time when people say, well, you get to choose what your truth is. And your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And they may not be the same, but they're all truth, right? Some kind of nonsense like that. People around us in the world say that there, there are, isn't right and wrong. There's just gray things here and there. But what we see in Scripture is that there is truth. There is correct things that we can stand on in love, that we can stand on the truth in love. And as we find joy for our journey and we grow to maturity, living for Jesus and living like Jesus, we will partner with God in the work of his kingdom. We will receive his discernment so that we can determine what is best and so that we will next bear the fruit of righteousness. Look at verse 11. Paul says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul says to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Notice that our righteousness does not come from ourselves. Our righteousness does not come from our own abilities. Our righteousness comes from Jesus. And what he has done for us on the cross and what he has done for us through the grave. Jesus has paid the price for our unrighteousness. The righteous has been made unrighteous. But because of his righteousness, it then produces in us the fruit of righteousness. It produces in us mature living in the faith. We do the work of the kingdom of God because we have been saved by Jesus, not in order to be saved by Jesus. We are saved by God's grace, Remember, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. We receive God's grace, something that we have not earned. We are saved by grace through faith to do good works. Remember, when God is at work on us, it demands a response. Well, when we respond to the good news of Jesus by accepting and following him, repenting of our sins and being baptized, when we respond in that way, fruit will be produced in our lives. The fruit of righteousness will be produced in our lives. If the Holy Spirit is living in us, then he will produce his fruit in our life. Joy for our journey comes when we partner with God for the gospel, when we receive discernment from God that abounds in love, when we bear the fruit of righteousness, and all of this will lead us to living mature in the faith, will lead us to to living for Jesus and living like Jesus. This will lead us to find joy in our journey. But why? Why do we do any of these things? Why do we even want to grow into maturity? Why do we want to live for Jesus and like Jesus? Why do we want to partner with God for the gospel? Why do we want to receive discernment from from God to know what's best? Why do we want to bear the fruit of righteousness? Well, look again at verse 11 because Paul tells us. To the glory and the praise of God. This is what it's all about. This is what everything is all about, to give glory and praise to God. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. We wanna live lives that are giving him glory and praise. And what that means is that every day we are joyfully giving God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have because we trust that Jesus is all that we need. And we are being transformed by who he is and what he has done for us. Our lives, we as a church, our lives, We want to live to give praise and glory to God. Friends, we find joy in our journey when our journey is lived to please God. Friends, Jesus, he died so that you and I could live. He gave his righteous life as a sacrifice to pay for our unrighteousness so that, we could live for God, to live for him and to live like him. But you know, like Lydia, like the demon-possessed girl, like the jailer, like it is for us, that starts when we first die to ourselves and die to our sins. When by faith we repent of our sins and meet Jesus and baptism. Some of you today need to come for the first time and lay down your life so that you can truly live. Some of you need to come and die to your sins for the first time so that you can start living for Jesus and so you can start living like Jesus. Won't you come today and find joy in your journey? We you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this letter of encouragement that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Father, I ask that you would bless our study over the next number of weeks as we dive into this this letter. Would you help us to learn from the example of the Philippians? Father, help us to, to find and see the ways that you have called us to partner with you in the work of the gospel. Father, help us to to not lean on our own understanding, but to seek you for discernment. Allow our love to abound in knowledge and in depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best, what is right, and what is wrong. Father, help us to move out of the way of your Spirit who will produce the fruit of righteousness in us as we grow in maturity in faith. And Father, help us to constantly keep in front of us why we do this, why we live this way, why we follow the example of your Son, and it's to bring glory and praise to you and you alone. Father, would you use us as your church, to be your witnesses here in Washington and the surrounding areas. Would you help us to find the opportunities that you have placed before us to serve your kingdom, both within the church and, Father, also in our homes and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community. Help us to follow the example of your son, Jesus. And help us to be willing to sacrifice self to care for the needs Others, we thank you that Paul, whether he was in chains or whether he was free, that through you, through him, you were going to be glorified. Father, would you help us to learn to live in the same way? Father, as we move into this time of communion, would you help bring our hearts in line and remind us of what brings us together? Despite all of our differences, that what unites us is the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen. Friends, we're